As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. the total soccer show this is the weekend review my name is ryan bailey and joining me today to take a little wonder through the weekend's best action is a man who would never be dropped for disciplinary reasons he's always on time he's taylor rockwell he has been better about being on time of late but i do now have that concern that you all will one day drop me for being five minutes late Uh, if it happens routinely enough uh, and then you find out that it's because i was stuck in traffic i guess that won't let me off the hook I realise the minute I've actually said the intro for you, Taylor, <laughs> that you are actually quite often late. <laughs> yeah, listening to the commentators talk about how, like, the rule when they were coming up was that, uh, you know, like, if you had a 10 a.m. meeting, you were there at 9.50. I was like, if I have a 10 a.m. recording session, that means I am researching until 9.58 uh, yeah. and then setting up. That is my, my, my normal. Maybe that needs to change a little bit. Otherwise, I'm going to get dropped from a Keller Tetsa squad from forever. Little insight for the listener. If Taylor sets a 10 a.m. recording time, you can show up at 10.15. You'll be fine. <laughs> Taylor runs on Italian time. It's all good. <laughs> Joining Taylor I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You'll get no pushback. It's, you're always stuck in your McLaren supercar trying to get to your studio is the problem. Well, that's it? my mistake. Is uh, <laughs> like It's really hard to get into and out of. And I record from home, so it's a really unnecessary thing to get into it, drive around the block, run into traffic, get out of it, get back inside. It's an unnecessary thing, but it's a nice way to feel like I'm greedy the day yes indeed i couldn't i couldn't agree more if you've got a mclaren you should use it and get in sunday traffic <laughs> during a pandemic anyway joining taylor and i is a man who told us this weekend he gets his hair cut in a place that sells fishing supplies graham ruthven hello and also uh, candy uh, movie <laughs> movie theater candy so it's, it's a place for all things this 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 uh, barbers you really should visit if you ever visit scotland so we were chatting on our WhatsApp group this weekend, and it was started, I think, by talking about Gareth Bale's man bun and the undershaving and the and the technique and the issues that it could present. And it got to like our barbershop habits. Taylor used to hang out in a barbershop, which sounds like a, a sitcom just waiting to happen, <laughs> uh, and, and several different <laughs> movies as well. Exactly. And many. Yeah, you've got a franchise coming there. I can tell. And uh, uh, Graham, let, let's let's slip that uh, his barbers sells fishing supplies and also yeah like pick and mix candy which um i find confusing like what what was it primarily graham was it primarily a hairdresser or primarily a fishing store uh that's difficult to answer it's one side (laughs) fishing and one side barber and then at the back is the the candy so it's yeah it covers all bases you've got fishing for your adults and candy for your kids and then you know bar barbary barbary is that a word i'm making it a word (laughs) if you're a pirate i think it is (laughs) Um, yeah. Okay, what was it called? Let's start there. Yeah. Oh, it's one of these places that doesn't have a name. What? <laughs> Everyone uh, just Graham. That's not a thing. <laughs> you can't. You can't. <laughs> like, like high end, like, 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 like the worst type of nightclubs are things that have no names. You can't have a 
fishing tackle barbershop candy store that has no name. <laughs> that's that's either something illegal or something terrifying, it's, or maybe well, both. Well, every, every, the guy who owns it is 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 nicknamed God. This getting even weirder, right? But it, his name is Wilson, but everyone calls him Mulsey. No idea why, and so everyone just calls it Mulsey's. But I, I couldn't understand. I couldn't tell you what the actual name of it is. Uh, is it I'm like pretty- a symbol, like Prince or something? How do, how do people find this business? Okay, so it's called Tron Barbers. Oh my god! <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I, no. The, the, well, see, the, the, where it is, is is a place called Tron Court. But now I'm wondering whether that's named after the film. But, uh, but, but yeah, <laughs> this is a peculiar tale. <laughs> it's not a cool barbers, right? It's not one of these places where I'm listening to your tales of Ryan saying he gets given a beer. Uh, and Taylor saying he hangs out in his barbers. You wouldn't want to hang out in this place. It's just where I've always got my hair cut. But now, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm now, now I'm questioning that choice. <laughs> have you ever gone in there, got your number two back and sides and whatever you get, and then you've also bought some fishing line and also some candy? Have you, have you ever done the, 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 the trio in that store? <laughs> no, but I think there's probably a loyalty card for, for you know, you get a stamp if you do the, the trio on one visit. <laughs> Taylor, how about your barbershop? Do they sell any fishing supplies? Um, they don't. They have random people stopping in to sell stuff, but it's never as, as fun as fishing supplies. It's usually clothing and expired uh, food products is usually what gets uh, hawked in the barbershop. Hang on. So, like, there's an open-door policy? If you've got some expiring food, you can walk in and try and sell it to the customers? I mean, I don't think the barbers necessarily love it. It seems to be a walk-in, anybody want to buy this? And then there's silence, and then they walk out. That happens, like, every other time I'm in there, somebody sells something. Wow. I suddenly feel like I'm some some sort of middle-class uh, elitist that my hairdresser just cuts hair now. That's, that's all I can say. I mean, that Goodness is correct. Man. That is how it works. If you don't have convoluted confusing stories about the origin of the barbershop and everything they sell yeah then then yeah you're a middle-class fraud that's how it works that's correct yeah and i I'm, I'm willing to bet that gareth bale's hairdressers is just uh dedicated to uh cutting his hair as well but we did start this debate because of that undershaving technique mm-hmm. and i was thinking about this quite a lot after our conversation like if you let the man bun down you let the hair down or whatever it does a his ball perhaps is going to show but b wouldn't it be a bit weird that he's got that undershaving thing going on you've got to commit to the bun if you've got that cut right yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. It's it's a really we- and he never used to do it that way. I just wonder that I, I was I was leaning on Taylor's uh, secondhand expertise of having spent so much time in the barber shop to <laughs> explain why you would shave a band around the bottom when your whole thing is going for long on the top. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what's fashionable with the uh, the children's these days, and that might be a thing because sometimes hairstyles that I'm like, huh, that's a choice, become ubiquitous. Uh, but yeah, my, my assumption was that maybe the hair on the sides wasn't growing fast enough to then be pulled back into the band bun, and you can, man bun, and you can't have flyaways. Weirdly, this stands out of my head because I remember there was like a. A promo thing for Real Madrid when he was still there, when Ronaldo was still there, and Ronaldo's hair was impeccable. Like it was all perfect and everything was exactly right. And then Bale had flyaways all over the place. And I just like to believe that he saw that marketing campaign and thought, no more of that. It's always got to be perfect from now on. So that's what he's doing. There we go. Well, Gareth Bale got himself in a hairy situation uh, this weekend, as did his Tottenham cohorts in the North London Derby. We're going to be talking about that on this weekend review. Also, a few other games. We've got Sevilla against Real Betis, the Seville Derby. There were actually quite a few derbies this weekend. It was also Chivas America. It was Boca River this weekend. And my favourite, Fla Flu, Flamengo Fluminense. Just fun to say Fla Flu, I find. Uh, we're also going to be talking uh, We're going to be talking about um, not all of those games, but certainly a few of those derbies. We're going to be talking about Manchester United taking on West Ham. And Milan seeding the Serie A title, perhaps, uh, at the hands of Napoli. Before we get started into those games, though, gents, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the EFL Trophy. I don't know if you saw about this. This took place over the weekend. The EFL Trophy is the uh, cup competition for League One and League Two teams. Salford City, the Salford City, the class of 92 Salford City, won the EFL Trophy uh, uh, on the weekend. They beat Portsmouth. They only won the trophy for 24 hours because the 2021 edition of the final, they won the 2020 <laughs> edition, which was held on Saturday. On Sunday, 2021 edition was held. Uh, Sunderland beat Tranmere to get that. So that might be the shortest trophy win in history for Salford City there. But congratulations to them. Uh, what are they going to uh, do? Do they each get different uh, victory parades? How does it all work? 
according to the Guardian piece that I read there, it's uh, it was Salford's first major piece of silverware. They only had their hands on it for a matter of minutes. They had to leave with a replica of the EFL trophy when the original was sanitised and prepared for Sunderland <laughs> to eventually lift and break their Wembley hoodoo as well. So, uh, y- yeah, I mean, a very short-lived, maybe just a few pints on the Saturday evening, I think, and- Graham. Yeah, and in non-COVID times, you saying that the trophy was sanitised after Salford City had their hands on it would really <laughs> paint, it would really say something about your disdain for the North. <laughs> Graham, my disdain for the North is very well documented. I don't need to emphasise it at this point in, in, in my life. But uh, why don't we talk about some lovely Southern soccer for now, the North London Derby. I think it's more fun when we just make Ryan uncomfortable. But yeah, let's talk about the North London Derby instead. That's fine. Here's, here's how it works in the UK. Anything north of Watford is the north and it's gross <laughs> and you don't want to go there. That's basically it. You stay south of Watford, you're fine. Look, uh, I watched the full Monty and I know that these regional policies are uh, hurtful and, and I refuse to get involved. <laughs> I'm my just kidding. These things. I'm kidding, but seriously, I'm not. Anyway, uh, Arsenal against Tottenham. This one finished 2-1 to Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting performance. Uh, well, Arsenal, a very good performance. Uh, Tottenham, not so much. Uh, Graham, I challenge you to name me a worse Tottenham performance this season. Go. Uh, struggling. <laughs> yeah. Really struggling. I thought this was this was yeah this was the the worst of uh, Tottenham under Jose Mourinho. Conservatism for the sake of conservatism, not really to achieve anything. They had one shot in target in the first 71 minutes, which was obviously Eric Lamella's brilliant uh, Rabona goal, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit more. But it, mm. yeah, it, 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 the, the goal came completely against the run of play. And I didn't really see what the strategy was from was from Spurs. And we've said that a few times on this podcast about Spurs this season, particularly in, in, in the last few weeks and months. But this was an extreme example of that. I know Bale didn't have a particularly good game, but... I felt taking him off and replacing him with uh, Sissoko just set... It was almost like Spurs were hunkering down for the, the rest of the match after Lacazette scored uh, to put to Arsenal ahead. They had no way to, to, to respond to that. So, yeah, a really, really poor performance from Spurs here. Sasha Nakrani on The Guardian tweeted, Spurs came into this having won six of their last seven games, scoring 20 times. Rivals drop points, top four in sight, and Mourinho still goes full Mourinho and sucks all ambition and intent out of his players. Taylor, it did seem odd because when you looked at it on paper at the start of the game, that's quite an attacking lineup from Tottenham, and yet they just had this negative approach. They, uh, you know, they were sat back, even though the defending wasn't great, they were trying to defend in numbers there and weren't offering much on the counter. Just a pretty, a pretty, you know, uninspiring display from them. It was, and I can't tell if that's because Mourinho saw this Arsenal team and thought that's a team that we can sit deep on, frustrate, and then counter and break apart, or if he maybe let the North London Derby aspect of things get to his head and he got a little bit like concerned about what they might bring and how they might be up for the occasion and we're going to go defensive to counteract that. But either way, I don't think it made a lot of sense, especially, as you say, given the personnel that are in there, because it does feel like, oh, you've got these, these four big attackers, they can combine, they can cause Arsenal problems just by themselves. They don't even have to have the six behind them getting involved, and they definitely needed that. They didn't get that anyway, but it did feel like a team that could have done more and probably should have done more, especially, as Graham said, once they do go down. I think some of those changes felt very belated and felt very almost like doing uh, damage control after the damage has already begun. Yeah, and talking about damage, um, Matt Doherty didn't cover himself in glory for Tottenham here, sort of um, le- le- letting uh, letting the, fir- the, the first goal, the Martin Odegaard's goal, uh, happen against him. Surely, um, Graham, let's, we're going to talk about fullbacks probably a bit in this in this episode because we're going to be talking about Manchester United soon. But we had mm-hmm. Kieran Tierney coming up against Matt Doherty here, uh, a tale of two two fullbacks, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I do have a little bit of sympathy for Matt Doherty in that. The position he thrived in for Wolves last season was a was a different position. He was a he was a right uh, wing back. Wolves mm. played they play a back three quite often, don't they? I've got that yep. right, don't they? Yeah, yeah. So he has that he had that protection protection in behind him. He wasn't expected to do that much defending at Wolves, but he since going to Spurs, obviously he's been he's been playing in a, in a flat back four, and so his his weaknesses are exposed. He also was I mentioned Bale earlier. He he didn't have a have a great game, and one of the biggest. 
um, faults of his performance was the way he was he he wasn't tracking back much, and yeah. so with Tierney and Smith Rowe doubling up on Doherty, uh, I did feel a bit of sympathy for him. He's had a poor season as Spurs. He obviously needs to do do more. I actually thought he was going to be a good signing for fifteen million pounds for for Spurs, but it hasn't panned out that way. But I I think up against Kieran Tierney. Um, for me, along with Yao Cancelo and Luke Shaw, he's been probably the, you know among the best fullbacks in the Premier League this season. And as a Scot, that makes me very happy. I would quite like it if our best players weren't all left backs. Um, <laughs> that would, you know, this that's like the curse of being Scottish. We finally produce two world class players and they play in the same position. Um, typically Scottish, but yeah, Tierney, Luke. <laughs> As a Scot, I do feel a little bit of vindication because Premier League fans, I remember being told that stop stop being silly. Kieran Tierney is nowhere near the quality of Andy Robertson. And Scottish football fans saying to Premier League fans, look, this guy is really good. He's almost as good as Robertson, if not slightly better in some areas. And that's how it's proved this season. I think he's he's better at picking out a man in the box than Robertson, which is saying something because Robertson's really good at that. But I think yeah. Kieran Tierney always feels like, it's almost like he doesn't, cross it he passes it into the box and that's and that's exactly what he did for the the Odegaard goal here Taylor how does Scotland shape up uh this summer in terms of Tini and Robson uh, the way things are going Graham uh, lopsided <laughs> 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 to the left <laughs> the irony is we don't have anyone to play it right back <laughs> so Kieran Tierney has actually played it right back for Scotland just because we need to force them both into the same team more recently, he's been playing as a left-sided centre-back, so he switched to a back three with Robertson as a wing-back, and that is, that's almost purely to get Tierney and Robertson both in the same team. But mm. I said on Twitter, if, 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 if it's a choice between two left-backs on form right now, I know Robertson is a Scotland captain and he's a European champion and a Premier League champion, but on form, Tierney's playing better than Robertson right now. But I don't really expect Steve Clark to switch him for, for Robertson, so it is a question of how you get Tierney in at the same team. Well, perhaps one of them can switch to right back. This game did prove to us that you don't have to uh, use your right foot if you're a professional soccer player, as uh, Eric Lamella sorry, uh, proved to us with that uh, spectacular Rabona goal that he scored. His first goal in 36 games, if I'm not mistaken. This was quite something, a, a highlight for a disappointing day, obviously, for Tottenham. But... Um, I, I, you know, he he did score that um, Rabona goal back in the Europa League uh, uh, four, four, four or five years ago, but this one I thought was even better. It was absolutely spectacular, not just because of the accuracy and the, the nutmeg Thomas Partey, but it was the way he kept it down as well. Because usually with a Rabona, yeah. you're chipping it in the air, but he kept it sort of, he stabbed at it. It was on the floor. Taylor, did you did you think that this this was an amazing goal? I'll say that I don't. I, I watched a lot of these games on my own on my couch, and I, I stood up and yelped when that went in. And I had yeah. no interest in Tottenham or Arsenal, no specific ties to them. But that was like a very very exciting moment when that happened. I think I made a high pitched noise and fell back into my chair. Yeah, yeah, no, this was this was pretty pretty impressive, and it is the type of thing where. There are certain moments when a player does this and you think like, oh, you do not have that right foot. You are just not going to use it. And that's not great. But in this moment when he hits it as perfectly as he does, you just have to think like, well, thank goodness he doesn't have that right foot. So we get this moment because it's the technique. It's the power behind it. It's the meg. It's the side netting and the sort of whatever the ball, the ball can do certain things when it goes in that makes the goal that much better. I will forever believe that when it like tings off the underside of the crossbar, hits the bottom and then goes yeah. back up into the top netting, that's like one of the prettiest goals you can score. Yeah. But the like perfectly nestled into the side netting and then rolling to the back corner sort of finish is also very pretty and that's exactly what this is. We also did have, I think, uh, Leno at full stretch and anytime you have a goalkeeper laying out for a shot that they just can't get to, it makes it that much better. So yeah, all in all, I, I love this goal so yeah. much and it did feel like, oh, here we go. This is the Jose Mourinho special. This is why he, he subs in Eric Lamella and then things don't quite go to plan. There's even a little bit of, I don't know about you, but there's even a little bit of swerve, like a touch of swerve yep. on mm-hmm. it. I don't even know how you do that. Like, I, I mean, obviously I wouldn't be able to do that, but phys- physically I don't know how you put swerve on a Rabona shot. <laughs> no, and then I think nor does Cedric Suarez, who I, his celebration was my favorite of just the hands to the head running behind yeah. in disbelief. Regulon, Sometimes yeah. you'll get that. Regulon, oh, was it regular? Excuse me. Yeah, of course it wasn't Suarez. It was regular. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the the just that sort of like, like sometimes you get the hyperbolic celebration. That one felt very much like I don't know what else to do because that was just so ridiculous. 
But there are people criticising him for not using his right foot there. But I just thought the decision yeah. making was wonderful. He's got an absolute split second where the ball is put into his path by Lucas Moura. And it's like if, if it was put more towards his right foot, he probably would have taken it. But he, he had to move his body slightly and make that split second decision. That's what makes it all the more impressive to me. And he kind of fools the defenders because he's not shaping up to shoot. He's not, you know, pulling his shoulder back to, 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 uh, to take that mm -hmm. right footed shot. So that, that it was disguised as well. So that was a, a really, really impressive. I think it's one of the all time great Premier League goals, if I'm honest. I hope I'm not being too hyperbolic when I say that. I don't think you are. I, that's that's about how I felt. I, t I told my wife when she came home. It was like, oh, it's a Ballon d'Or nominee for sure, or not Ballon d'Or, uh, the Pushkash award. award. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm on point today. Uh, <laughs> but I think I think because Ryan, for me, when you see a Rabona or like the few times I've been able to pull off a Rabona in a game, it's usually a momentary realization of like, oh, I could try that and see what happens. But it's not necessarily a deliberate decision it tends to be a lot more uh, improvised and in this yeah. moment this one is certainly improvised but it's still so technically well hit that it feels like a thing that he almost like I picture him practicing in a sort of hysterical way after training of instead of shooting like I'm shooting with my left foot and then I'm rebutting with my left foot and somehow I'm equally accurate and I guess that accuracy paid off here yeah well um Tottenham did wake up towards the end of the game when Eric Lamella uh, received his second yellow card yeah. an eventful day for him being subbed on scoring an absolute worldie and then making a an unceremonious exit before full time as well but yeah it was a sort of nervous last 10 minutes for Arsenal this game it's uh certainly uh Harry Kane kind of woke up towards the end as well I don't think I've noticed him on the field until he uh he sort of uh, had that uh, free kick that hit the post towards the end as well but we've got to give full credit to Arsenal haven't we gents because uh, despite their captain being absent for as we mentioned being late his supercar getting stuck in traffic uh, reportedly on the way to the stadium apparently uh, uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's timekeeping and uh, ability to reach team meetings is leaves a lot to be desired in general so this may have been the tip of the uh, you know the, what the, the what broke mm. the, the straw that broke the camel's back that's what i'm trying to get to here sorry i'm, I'm struggling to put out words this, i'm rubbing uh, off this on morning. you i apologize <laughs> but uh full credit to arsenal here. a really really good performance and i think as graham mentioned there with tierney and smith row on that left side they were really really strong uh, cedric was brilliant in this game uh, martin ogrod had a wonderful game before we get into the tactics and stuff like that with uh, with arsenal Cedric um, had the duty of laying down on the floor for the free kick. Uh, I think he did this a couple of times. He was facing towards his own goal. Yeah. If if you were doing that, wouldn't you face the shot so you knew if you were about to be hit in the back of the head? Is that just me? There's there's got to be a theory here because he's not the first he's not the first who's who I've spotted doing that facing away from the ball. So I, I, it's something that's spreading through dressing rooms, and I want I want to know what the theory is. Taylor, you got any ideas? <laughs> I mean, I've got an idea that Ryan is a lunatic. You you want to lay on the ground where you can't use your hands to defend yourself, and then have them rip a, a like a low shot straight at your face. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll like I'll go turtle. Like I'll tighten up the neck and just hope it hits the back of my head, but a little bit of my neck, a little bit of my upper back, and I can handle that one. But there are so many more things that I don't want a soccer ball smashing into in my front parts as opposed to my back parts. <laughs> <There> so <laughs> yeah, but, wait, but by that by that logic, why do walls not face the other way? You face the ball so that you're alert to the game. So if, if you know, you, Graham, you, I think you've stumbled on it here. Maybe they shouldn't. Maybe that's what we're learning is <laughs> the jumping and the twisting is the problem. Maybe they should be facing away. Yes, we're automatically going to get six concussions a game, but maybe that's worth it for the price of not getting Ronaldo nutmegged for a free kick. I'm sorry, but I would rather ha be facing the ball when it came towards my face or gentleman's lunchbox rather than facing away and not knowing when it's going to concuss me in the back of the head. I, 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 can't, I can't agree I think with you. Taylor. It's the stationary thing that really factors into it for me. Like if I'm on my feet, yeah, I'd rather face the shot so I can twist and contort a little bit. I think if I'm lying down, my instinct is going to be to cover up with my hands, which you cannot do in the box. I'm still... <laughs> Really excited. I tweeted this. I'm still very excited for the moment that somebody tries to pass around that wall and we have a full Three Stooges moment when they all just yeah. fall over the prone player. That's going to be terrific. <laughs> and talking about falling over, uh, how about that penalty with uh, Lacazette taking an air shot and then Sanchez sort of wading in and putting in a rather unwarranted uh, challenge on him to, to win a penalty? Do we have any objections to that being a penalty? I think myself, I think if he actually gets proper connection with that shot, then... It's probably just a block and nothing happens there. But I can't, I can't uh, doubt the referee for giving that one personally. Graham, any thoughts on that? It's one of those one. It's another one of the sort of VAR penalties, isn't it? Yeah, I it feels like in the laws of the game. Yeah, that's probably a penalty. But in 
your your instinct is that it feels quite harsh in that as you, as you say if Lacazette makes contact with the ball as he intends to then Sanchez probably blocks a shot but I don't know I don't I think, know <laughs> I think even I think even like to extend it further I think if he makes contact and puts it out of bounds it might still not be a penalty I think the thing only I think Robbie Earl said it really really quickly uh, in the broadcast is that the ball stays in bounds and I think that's why the penalty is given because in my mind the idea is that he doesn't make good contact but he could still technically then make a play on the ball because it's still in play mm. but he is taken out and I think if you put that in another situation of ball played into the box player making a run and then is taken out before he can get to the ball even if it's maybe not going at goal if it's in the penalty area and he's taken out it's always going to be a penalty so that to me is a big part of it that the ball was still in play but then there is also the idea of, yeah, you can't take out the entire player as you get the ball. Though Granite Shaka seems to have found a way to do that uh, in open play pretty regularly. So credit to him. And Harry Kane. And, well, well, yeah, there's that too. Yeah, well, can we talk about Harry Kane for a second there? Because there was this, um, uh, going around on social media, the incident with him putting his elbow on Gabriel and nothing being given for it. He is a low-key, very dirty yep. player, isn't he, Harry Kane? He does that kind of thing quite a lot. And that thing he does a lot where... Um, instead of contesting a header, he'll sort of bend down and let the the opponent sort of fall on him and almost break their neck when they fall. He does that kind of thing quite a lot. It's it's not, it's pretty unedifying, isn't it, Graham? Yep. And um, it, I don't know about the coverage in the US, but in, in, here in the UK, it, it never gets picked up. I've ne- the only analysis I've seen of it is on social media, on the BBC, mm. on Sky, BT, all the, all the broadcasters I've, I've uh, yet to see this be picked up by uh, people who obviously see Kane as England captain, as you know, darling of of English football, uh, and um, yeah, he's got a history of it. I mean, for me, I don't know about you, but the 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 the, the forearm into Gabriel after the ball has played, and it looks like a total premeditated move. He's frustrated. He's trying to kind of impose his mark in the Arsenal defence. That to me is is. A potential red card. Ball's gone. It's yeah. violent play straight into the face or the head of of Gabriel with his forearm. That's it. Doesn't even get booked for it. Yeah, he got lucky there. He got lucky there for sure. Um, any more on this uh, North London derby, Taylor? Before we uh, move on to our next game. Yeah, j- just to say that I thought this was also uh, from a tactical standpoint a really interesting game because I do think Arteta sitting Aubameyang aside, that being a big decision, I think he's made a lot of choices that have paid off. I think limiting what he's asking Granite Shaka to do. I think he was being asked to do way too much under previous managers. And I think putting him in a position where he has slightly fewer responsibilities lets him be better at the things he is being asked to do. And I thought this was a really great game from him. He is the player who I think I least want to go into a 50-50 with because he seems to be winning them and winning them with physicality. But uh, I think somebody on The Guardian, or maybe it was The Athletic, was 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 writing that like Aubameyang probably would have started this game out on the left wing. Maybe it would have been instead of Lacazette, but it's hard to imagine him doing better than Emile Smith-Rowe, and I think that kind of overload with Kieran Tierney, the fact that Gareth Bale wasn't tracking back, I'm assuming was supposed to be an outlet, and maybe that was Mourinho thinking, I'll keep Gareth Bale up, that will pin Tierney back, they won't have those attacking options. It did not have that effect, and I think that Arsenal... Even when Spurs went ahead, it felt like it still seems like they're going to get something out of this. And it's telling to me that where they do score off the deflected shot from Odegaard after a like kind of squared ball to him is a sequence that they had had a few other times. Uh, and the first time it happens, I think it rolls all the way through the box, but this time it's finished. So it's another great run by Tierney for the assist. It's good work by Odegaard, but I thought it was good work from pretty much every Arsenal player, including that back line, which is sneakily good. I didn't realize they'd conceded the fourth fewest goals in the entire league. So I think it was just a really, really impressive victory for Arsenal. And then for Tottenham, a very depressing result because of what Graham said in the beginning, that it's a Tottenham team that probably should have come into this with confidence and swagger and a willingness to go at and frustrate an Arsenal team that is weakened. And instead, they did not. So uh, commiserations to Spurs fans and congratulations to Arsenal fans. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, uh, not not the expected result if you're a Tottenham fan going into this one. I certainly had them getting a, a narrow win out of this one. And on, on Gareth Bale, by the way, I'm, I'm sorry to harp on about this one, but um, he, he's got a lot of pelters for not covering Doherty at the back, and that's fair enough. But this very negative setup, it doesn't really play to his strengths necessarily. So maybe we can give pelters to Mourinho for starting him and then playing this kind of way. Any thoughts on that, Graham? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole the whole front structure, it's very much just left to them to 
come up with a moment of individual brilliance. And and the two kind of obviously the goal it comes from a moment of individual brilliance from Lamella, and then Kane striking the post late on comes from Kane just doing something on his own. You know, a free kick from from distance. So it, it does feel like even though in a sense. Tottenham's attackers probably like the space that Mourinho's system affords them. There's there's not really any framework or anything for them to 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 work to work on. Yeah. And 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 I think for a lot of players in, in that Spurs team, it, it it doesn't seem to benefit them. And I think Bale might be one of them because he's he's pulled in, he put in some good performances and uh, some bad ones, and this was a a bad one. I think he gets Mourinho always gets that billing of being a pragmatist that he analyzes the opponent he figures out what's going to call them the greatest problem usually it tends to be a compact defense and then uh, playing on the counter is what plays to their strengths but here I thought some of that that sort of ability to change it up was almost a hindrance to them because when Son goes off Lucas slides over uh, Lamella comes on he is that central number 10 I think by the end of the game they had four different players trying to play that position but Maybe you have the ability to do that if you have the the talent there, but what you don't have then is a, famili- a familiarity. So you don't have one of them sliding over to help cover. It doesn't allow Huyberg uh, as that right central midfielder to slide over and maybe help Doherty a little bit more. I think it just it creates a lack of rhythm and a lack of familiarity that causes issues. And I think the thing that really stood out. Uh, sorry, Ryan. I know you said final thoughts, and now here we are. But like <laughs> uh, Graham, I'm sure you've experienced the uh, the always fun situation of having your match report sort of mostly written and then a goal is scored very, very late and you kind of have to change it up. And this was not the case here, but it did sort of feel like most reporters already had their match report written at 1-0 to Tottenham because it was going to be Spurs win via a moment of individual brilliance and then they play very defensive and it's not that like compelling of a victory and then they lose and it just sort of gets tinkered a little bit adjusted a little bit to sort of Spurs lose and we're entirely reliant on a moment of individual brilliance and either way i think the the frustration and the confusion with that approach is uh still going to be on display still going to be front and center it will indeed that was the action from the emirates when we come back after these messages we're going to head to the theater of dreams This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We are back. Let's talk Manchester United against West Ham. This one finished 1-0 to Man United, who are back in second place over Leicester, who themselves had a 5-0 win over Sheffield United, who lost their manager this weekend. West Ham are still in fifth place. Taylor, on our aforementioned WhatsApp Mm -hmm. chat, you're kind of a little bit... You're you're a very positive man in general, Taylor. Very positive, and I love that about you. But you're a little bit negative, Nancy, about Manchester United at the moment. This is true. To me, and I think Graham might concur with this, this is a good Manchester United side who are better than they have been previously and to whom Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has improved. Would you agree that with that? That they, they were better than they were and, you know, this is a decent set of players here. It's, it's, it seems like a slightly more cohesive unit than it's been in recent seasons, I would contend. So I'm aware of how like annoying it is to complain about a team like Manchester United with the profile they have in second in the Premier League, still alive in Europe, theoretically. We'll see what happens there. To a, a, a Wimbledon fan, for example. Like, it, it is not the same level of gripe, for sure. Uh, Graham, I don't know which club you support, but I'm assuming they're Scottish and, uh, you know, sympathies <laughs> for that as well. Um, <laughs> but but I, I think, like, Ryan, to your question, my answer to all of that is, like, I think so. And I think that's where my frustration with Manchester United is, is that like they always seem like they're making progress, but then there are those moments of like, well, that was better last game, but now it's back to what it was. And I think that change made sense, but I can't tell if it was intentional or a thing they'd worked on. And I think overall what it comes down to is just that with Manchester United this season, 
I think teams sort of have worked out how to cause them problems, and the biggest mm. way is to bunker and sit deep and then counter on them. And I think United watching this game again, I did watch this game again once you were both like, I think you're a little bit too negative. And I will say I agree that I think I was too negative about this game in particular because it was West Ham at times in a 6-3-1, at times in a 5-4-1. But either way, it was Manchester United, especially in the second half, being a bit more proactive, trying some stuff they didn't try in the first half, trying to be it more bit more aggressive and play against a low block team but that is where that that kind of hesitation comes from on my part is just that when I see this game on paper I see who's not in the lineup for for United I think this is going to be one of those nil nil through 60 minutes and then we'll see what happens and that's almost how it went except for an own goal in the 53rd. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a very good performance from many Manchester United players here. The fullbacks and Luke Shaw had a great game. Uh, Wamba Saka, I thought, you know, is really competent in defence. Maybe not as much, as good as Shaw going forward and, or um, mm-hmm. banging the crosses mm-hmm. in, but very, very good from him as well. And Harry Maguire, who... It's, you could even argue he's underrated in that he doesn't get as much attention for the good games that he has. And this was a very good game. I thought very, very competent stuff from Maguire. Uh, and going forward, yes, you can say that Bruno Fernandes didn't have a classic, a few scuff shots. Looks like he might need uh, a, a, an enforced break, if you will. But then, like, Mason Greenwood up top doing uh, doing wonders for my campaign to have him uh, as number one over Tony Martial in <laughs> that position as well. Graham, what did you make of United here? Yep, I thought I'm pleased you mentioned Maguire because I think we're all very quick to jump on him when he has a a bad game, um, and obviously the, the the price tag he had had is the the thing that that hangs over him in every game that he plays, and it's not really his fault. That's that's what Manchester United agreed to pay for him, and it's nothing to, nothing to do with him. But I, mm. I thought he had a, a a really good game here, and actually I, I felt like the way Moy set up his team um, for this game was to was to make the most of the set pieces. We all know that West Ham are very good at, have been very good at set pieces this season and they probably looked at how Manchester United recently have been quite vulnerable from set pieces um, and the one he didn't count on Harry Maguire having one I thought one of his best games of the season and um, that was I think he was one of the biggest differences be- between the two teams and yeah I, th- I think just going back to to looking I get what Taylor's saying it feels like Manchester United consistency is still an issue for them you know they're a very streaky team they're the mo- they're arguably the most the streakiest team I've ever come across in my life you know they seem to go in these 10 game unbeaten runs and then they struggle for wins after that but I think if you look at the bigger picture with Manchester United um you know, last season was Solskjaer's first full season in the job. They finished third. This season, they're on course to finish second. And so, th- th- you know, since Ferguson retired, we're now two and a half years into or coming up to two and a half years under Solskjaer at Manchester United. And it still feels like, to me, they're moving forward. And no one, no manager since Ferguson has, has achieved that. It, so I read over the weekend Solskjaer's going to get a, a new contract, I think, I question the timing of that a little bit just because this season could still collapse and so what happens if he signs a new contract might not finish outside the top four and get knocked out of the the cup competitions that's going to the timing's going to look a bit funny but as things stand I do think he's probably deserved at least a discussion of a new contract but the next step is going to be the most difficult one for him can he genuinely challenge for a title can they win a Mm. title because that will be what defines his his time as my United manager but this was a game I felt like Manchester United wouldn't have won this game last season or in previous seasons and I know they got a bit of luck with the own goal but they still forced the issue they still created the chance for it to be scored from and and yeah I saw signs of their progress in this game even though it wasn't a rip-roaring attacking exhilarating performance Graham yeah. I was gonna I was gonna ask you that like because w- w- that's what I struggle with is when people say like oh no this team is improving they are getting better you can see the progress like I think at times you can and then at times you can't so would you would you point to that they were able to get that result that they did kind of get more aggressive in the second half is that what you mean when you say you see that progress there yeah absolutely I mean you go back to the Mourinho days or the Van Hal days in particular, Manchester United would go behind and, and it didn't really, or they, they, they wouldn't find a way through. So it'd be nil nil or they'd be losing. Mm-hmm. And it never really felt like they were, they were there was a, a climax that, you know, the yeah. United were really going for it. And I, I always feel like that, that even when they don't get the goal under Solskjaer, there is that sense of they're, they're throwing everything into it. So, Yes, this was 1-0 with an own goal, but Greenwood hits the woodwork twice in, mm. in, in this game. Um, I think United had 15 shots compared to, to West Ham's seven. So there's no doubt that they created more from the match against a, a low defensive block that last season and the seasons before they would have struggled against. So it's it's definitely not the finished product. I still mm. feel like United are th- probably three 
starting players away from really challenging City and maybe Liverpool once they get back to to full strength. But they are. I I, st- I do feel like they are moving forward. All right. I'd say holistically, this feels like a Solskjaer team now as well. If you look at it from overall, like the team he inherited was a sort of Frankenstein's monster of the past four managers, arguably. And now you see more of a, I think I used the word cohesion before, but more cohesion. I feel more like this is a team that knows what it's doing. They're not throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks like maybe previous managers have done at Manchester United. Does that make sense, Taylor? It it does. I, I think like I still. Uh, this is probably me being overly negative, but it's like like uh, Luke Shaw would be a very good example of what you're talking about about this player that's found consistency, found form, but is a player that I would say has elevated his performance because they brought in his replacement this season. They brought in Alex Telesh to essentially challenge him and maybe outright supplant him, and then that doesn't end up working. Luke Shaw becomes a more consistent player, a better player. And I think for me, there's a way of seeing that as like, oh, this is what you do. You bring in a player to challenge, you make that player get better, and now here we are. And you can see that as a good manager, or you can see that as they brought in somebody to replace him, and then he got a little bit better. And now suddenly they're a better, it's a better player, and I don't know who gets the credit for that. And I get stuck between those two worlds, which again is a very first world fan sort of problem to be stuck in. I will own that up front. Yeah. And I think... With the <laughs> Graham, just with the yes, um, but I also think, like to Graham's point, that watching it again, there's stuff like the Mason Greenwood hitting the post. That argument used to frustrate me because it's sort of I played with people who were like, "Oh, I had a really good game. I hit the post four times." It's like, yeah, but we lost two nil. If two of those had gone in, that would be a good game. That they didn't is not. But watching him again, especially in the second half, the way West Ham were set up to defend, they did not really much care about the ball in the channel, and they were happy to let Greenwood sort of get into that space, usually in a one-on-one scenario. If they if United sent ta- attackers forward, uh, West Ham would try to track them with at least two people paying attention. And I felt like in the second half, Greenwood took advantage of that 1v1 and sort of drove at that defense a little bit more, tried a few more things. And I didn't see as much from that from a Manchester United perspective in that first half of people, all right, I'm going to take it on. I'm going to try to get around you, and that will create some uncertainty. It was a lot of lateral and slow passing. Mason Greenwood in the second half, taking people on, creating, hitting the post. And I would argue even for the own goal, yes, it's an own goal, but it comes about because he drives in and then plays that ball in that has to be kind of poked clear at the last second. Otherwise, it's going to be a goal. So even there, it is Manchester United changing it up and being a more aggressive and trying some stuff in those 1v1 situations. I think Graham is correct. They probably need more players who can do that and make different runs and have a more varied attack. But watching it again, I think this is a much more positive result than I was willing to give it credit for initially. So thank you both for uh, I, for making me feel better. I shall try to be positive from now can, on. Can I, can I just pick up the, the Luke Shaw point with um, knowing, not knowing whether it's Solskjaer or Alex mm-hmm. Taylor coming in? And I think that's a fair point. It's, it's such a, a clear catalyst for Solskjaer, to, if for Shaw, I should say, to get better was Taylor's coming in and all of a sudden Shaw's the best, the best left yeah. back in the country. But I think if, if you look at the whole... My, my United team, I think maybe that suggests that it, that Solskjaer has had an influence in because if you mm-hmm. go through the My United team and look through the players that have, and sorry, I know I'm moving slightly away from the actual game here, but if you if you look at the players who have improved under Solskjaer, you know Shaw's got better, Lindelof's got better, I think it's fair to say, Fred has got better, McTominay, I would say, I know Mourinho brought him in, but I think he's been more influential under Solskjaer. Rashford's been better, Martial's been better. Uh, even someone like Matic, who's a favourite of Mourinho, I feel like he's got a second win in his career under Solskjaer. So, and the players who have maybe not got better are what, Lingard and De Gea, possibly. So, you know, I just feel like going through the team, Solskjaer's, you, you've got to give him a credit a little bit for improving a number of those players, of which Shaw is, is definitely one of them at the moment. And uh, that uh, own goal, by the way, in this game, uh, Graham is claiming that as a Scott McTominay header, and I don't think anyone will hear otherwise <laughs> on that. Um, I did feel bad for Dawson in that one and McTominay, because in amateur level, when you don't have 15 cameras on you, McTominay's absolutely declaring that he scored that one, and Dawson yeah. is not correcting him, and that's going down as a McTominay goal, and that's how we will remember that game, when you have this many cameras. And there's that one angle from, I guess, like Dean Henderson's perspective that just absolutely looks like Dawson has no idea what he's doing and has never defended before. And I feel so bad for him for that one angle because it's clear that it takes a flick. He's trying to head it where he thought it would be and the flick completely changes it. Uh, So all that is to say, yeah, Scott McTominay, Scotland legend with the goal. Uh, Scotty Maradona deserves all the credit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he does indeed. Uh, West Ham fans pretty furious about this uh, performance. Looking at some of their reaction, they were really angry about this one just because they set up 
to frustrate here with a deep defensive line. Uh, and some of the selections they made with, with Johnson there and, and, and Noble not suggesting they were going to go for mobility going forward. Uh, it, it was, the, the question was, why didn't they go for it more a little more? They did kind of go for it a bit more once they went behind, but maybe they should have set up like that from the start. And I think that's a, a decent point, Graham, because I don't think they set up like this against, say, Man City. Well, relatively recently. And then when they only started waking up when, when they went the goal down. And it's almost as if David Moyes is a bit scared of playing against Manchester United for some reason. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's, uh, he, am I right in saying he's yet to win as a visiting manager at Old Trafford? I think six times and he's not won yet. Yes. Yeah. And he, he barely won as the home manager at Old Trafford as well. So there's, there's <laughs> something about that, that stadium. <laughs> Certainly not the theory of dreams for him. Um, I, 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 I in hindsight, yes, he got it wrong, David Moyes. There's absolutely no doubt about that. I think, as I kind of referenced earlier, I think he what he was trying to do was he obviously saw a strength in his team from set pieces and he saw a weakness from Manchester United. And, and I feel like they, they were very much um, playing for set pieces and, and hoping to get players like Suchek and, and you know, some of the... And Dawson, obviously, into... Uh, obviously, he, he did find the back of the net, but, the, the, the you know, get him into position to find the right net. And it didn't really work. And then Lanzini and Ben Rama came on. And, and yes, in hindsight, at least one of those two creators should have should have started the game and, and, and given West Ham more of a creative football foothold in, in, in the match. But um, yeah, I, 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 um, I struggle to criticise Moyes a little bit this season just because I feel like he's he's done such a good job with this team. They're in a position to potentially qualify for the Champions League and they'll likely finish in the European places. But he did. He did get this get this one wrong. And there was some. There was a Twitter rumor before the game, and I've yet to verify. I've yet to fi- to find the the TV clip of this. But Jamie Redknapp, who was doing the TV punditry, so I'm going to struggle to get through <laughs> oh this boy. without laughing. It's a good one. <laughs> he he apparently said David Moyes would quote suck your hands off for a point <laughs> at Old Trafford. <laughs> <laughs> which was a cliche I, I hadn't heard before. Oh, Jamie. Oh, Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. I mean, oh, boy. Graham, let's be fair to it. If you've never been in your hairdressers and you're like, oh, I'd suck your hand off of some of that pick and mix candy over there, but just, just you know, the ones just behind the fishing supplies. You must have been in that situation. Uh, no, but I have heard it in the barbershop uttered from time to time, but I've never heard it uttered on TV before. Stuck your hands off for a point. I, see, I think I think maybe he would have, but I also think to, I'm more inclined to be positive towards David Moyes because I think he looked at this Man United team and thought, I can frustrate them, they won't break down a low block. And then those benches are uh, are telling because it's what, like Shola Shortire, Shortire, Ahmad could come on. Those are basically your two attacking options for Man United. And I think this was West Ham setting up to frustrate for 60 minutes, tire out Man United, they get a little bit stretched, and then you bring on some attackers and go at them. I really do think that United were able to get that goal in the first inside of 60 minutes made a massive difference in this game because otherwise I do think it's going to be a bit more open no matter what even if Man United don't go ahead uh, but I think that they do sort of completely changes the calculation for David Moyes on the fly I'm with Graham I don't think he necessarily uh, deserves that much criticism especially since they are still in fifth uh, and I would not have put West Ham in uh, European positions at this point in the season for sure. Yeah, completely fair. Let's give uh, Moyes the benefit of the doubt there, West Ham fans. He's doing okay this season in general. We're going to go continental very shortly after these important messages. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think... I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, we are back. Let's head to the San Siro where Milan took on Napoli. Uh, Napoli coming away 1-0 winners in this one. A big blow to Milan's title hopes. They're now nine points behind Inter with 11 games to go into the 1-2-1 at Torino this weekend. And Juve are just one point behind Milan with a 3-1 win at Cagliari with Ronaldo getting a first half hat-trick in that one. Graham, I thought this was actually a pretty decent game and particularly uh, arresting in the last 15 minutes or so. Yep, it was a, it was a good game, and it was uh, certainly an, an important game because this is probably the weekend that the Inter have have won the Scudetto. Nine nine point difference. I think Juventus have a game in hand over AC Milan, who could, they can go into second place to to kind of narrow that to I think it would be seven points. But even still, yep. th- I think that's too big a gap considering Inter have won something like six league games in a row, um, and. AC Milan, it just feels like they are running out of steam with with injuries. Obviously, the big one being Zlatan, who is is sidelined for for the for the time being. And uh, Napoli, I think Gattuso deserves a lot of credit for he's kind of proven himself as a big game manager recently. I think they they um, they beat Juventus, didn't they, a, a, a few weeks ago, a um, mm. couple months ago, and. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a good performance from Napoli. I think they got a bit lucky in in some aspects. I'm still not totally sure of Dries Mertens. I know, obviously, um, <gasps> he's my favorite. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say as a central striker, Dries Mertens is as 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 a as a brilliant player. But yeah, I, I think um, Victor and I always can never pronounce his name, even going back to his, his when he was in uh, French football. But Os Os, Os, Os <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I can never pronounce his name. Apologies, I've absolutely that about that. right. Yeah, but he 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 obviously is much more of a central forward and and felt that that actually benefited Napoli in this game. But yeah, it was it was an entertaining watch. It Graham, was very uh, impressive. So go, not go ahead, to, I was just going to say not to go fully blue here, but I think most commentators do a lot of legwork to not say Osimen is what they're trying to do. So I think it becomes like Osimen is what they go with instead of that. And yet you went there, Taylor. And yet you I went mean, there. It's because I have to. I always want to say that one because <laughs> he's a player I used to sign in FIFA 20. He was one of my go-to players. I was a big fan of him, and it did then lead me to learn how to pronounce his name. But I definitely went with the former at first, and now try to go with the latter. Well, talk about a go-to player for the big dogs. I thought this is a good one for Koulibaly this game, who, who sort yep. of justified that reason <laughs> why uh, <laughs> why he was sort of constantly linked with the Man Cities of the world not so long ago. Very, very. Uh, uh, Strong in the back line there. And I thought, yeah, very impressed with Napoli in general. Politano having a very good game, getting the goal in this one as well. And Zielinski with the assist. He, he had a wonderful performance here as well. The best performer for Napoli, though, that kit. Did we? Did, yeah. How much, that kit is wonderful. That, I, I looked it up. I think it's their fourth kit that they wear. It's blue and white, and it's striped sort of number. I have a thing about teams that pick an away kit that's the same color as their home kit and West Ham obviously do this as well and they did this at Old Trafford but I will let Napoli off for that yeah. one because it's, oh wonderful it, it's in it's in tribute to Maradona is it not yes that that's not, right I yeah, think no. they've worn it like virtually every game since Maradona passed away if I'm not yeah. mistaken speaking yeah. of tributes to Maradona can I just say how happy it makes me to see Diego Deme uh starting and playing well for Napoli do you all know his story because it's like it is one of my favorites consistently vaguely but 
Italian father, uh, German mother, I believe. Italian father grew up idolizing Diego Maradona. Love Diego Maradona. Diego Deme is named after Diego Maradona. The other player that he idolized growing up was Gennaro Gattuso. So he always wanted to play Ah, for Napoli. He always wanted to work with Gennaro Gattuso. And now two birds, one stone sort of situation. So Diego Deme, I guess doing his namesake sort of proud, not scoring the goals, but starting for Napoli uh, as they win definitely made me happy. Wow, that's quite a confluence of, uh, of things right? happening there, isn't it? Amazing yeah. stuff. <laughs> Which is odd because, uh, to Graham's point, I thought Gattuso managed this one well, made some smart decisions, but the narrative on him seems to be that he is leaving at the end of the summer and that hasn't convinced or has had a falling out, but that Napoli are fifth. And, like, this, I mean, it's a good Napoli team. They still have Koulibaly, obviously, as you mentioned. But they don't have some of those huge guns that they've had in the past. There's no Cavani. There's no Higuain, uh, to name just two. But there are many other options. Mark Hamshek as well. So it feels a little bit harsh. But I also, I guess I get it. But it just still seems a little bit strange to me that Gattuso is rumored to be on his way out this summer. Well, why don't we talk about Milan and Pioli and his selection here as well. Um, Interesting. We had Gavir starting in the back line in centre back here. They're, they're a depleted lineup, Milan, as, as Graham mentioned there, and uh, su- suffering from the Europa League game against Manchester United. And probably got one eye on the uh, second leg of that game against Man United coming up as well. But we had uh, Krunic starting here, maybe over Rebic. I'm not sure about that one. Um, Kessi had to come off. Maybe there was consideration to keep him fit for for the Europa League as well. Injuries catching up with this team, but also I'm not so sure about some of the selections that, that Pioli made here, but um, a, a disappointing game all round, Taylor, for Milan, certainly. I, 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 by the way, yeah. talking about as a Man United fan, Darlow, not so great if, <laughs> if we're going to talk about <laughs> fullbacks in this episode. My least favourite fullback of the weekend. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think there is an element of the Gareth Bale situation there where I don't think uh, Castillejo did that much to help him out so much in this yeah. game. I think, to your point, Ryan, that we have a triple substitution at the 60th minute. The Chalinolu sub, Chalinolu, excuse me, uh, sub for Brahim Diaz feels more planned. The other two definitely feel like uh, Pioli thinking, yeah, I thought I could roll the dice here, and I was wrong. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I th- but yeah, Dolot as well. Uh, I, I thought his attacking play was good. I didn't, <laughs> nor did the commentator. I didn't did not love his long throws. He didn't seem to be as much of a threat as they seemed to think he was in the closing moments of this game. Yeah, not so hot. Not so hot. Tia Hernandez on, on the other flank, though, uh, an mm. eventful one, I would say. <laughs> yes. Certainly got forward quite a lot and uh, put some robust tackles in, uh, <laughs> which uh, he seemed to escape the red card in this game. But someone who didn't escape the red card was uh, Rebic, who came on and uh, appeared to say something rude to the referee. That's as far as we can see uh, what happened there. But The uh, speculation I've heard is that it had to do with, I guess in Italy, refs have been told to be especially yeah. hard on jokes about match-fixing or comments about yep. match fixing. So I think oh. there's an idea that maybe uh, it might have been in Croatian, and I think the referee may speak Croatian, but there's, uh, I guess, an implication that he maybe mentioned something about you're on the take or, like, how much did they pay you? And, and that is a thing that is uh, not smiled upon anymore in Italy. Maybe it was, come on, we're paying you X, Y, Z. You should be... Uh... <laughs> it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, it's the other way around. <laughs> I bought you one of those Obama Yang cars, and this is how you repay me? <laughs> Bummy and cars. I like that. <laughs> Maybe he was uh, making fun of the referee who kept slipping over. I, I lost oh. count of the amount of times. W- was anybody I, else desperately concerned about him by the end of the game? Yeah. Well, he, he seemed to be having quite a knee injury going on by the I end of the game. I think he tore his ACL in this game. I'm yeah. not, I shouldn't be saying that in a laughing way, but he he gets clipped by... I can't remember who it is when there's that little bit of a, a fracas near the end. I think it was yeah. uh, Fabian Ruiz. He He... It's not intentional, but he falls over. It didn't seem like it was that bad, but maybe it's just one of those when you don't expect to get tripped that you're just so not prepared for it that you can run the risk of injury. And he really was rubbing that knee for the final five minutes. And he even has the one moment where he very dramatically is like, I am fine. We will continue play. And then immediately held his knee again. I was like, you have not conveyed that you are doing fine, my friend. (laughs) Poor guy. He shouldn't have worn flip-flops in a game at the San Siro, (laughs) frankly. I think that that was the problem. That was the mistake. <laughs> I also oh. just feel bad for ref- officials in general these days. Is there, I, I just want people to pay attention to this. Is it possible to make a jersey that isn't horrifically unflattering for an official? Every single one makes them look overweight or they're too tight and they look like they're made of like some weird synthetic plastic blend. They never look like they breathe that well. They never look comfortable. I feel bad for officials is what I'm saying. They should all just yeah. wear the Napoli fourth kit. 
That's the one. That's what it should be. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's what Ribbich thought that uh, the referee was doing underneath his shirt, and that, was, that caused the whole situation. We shall, uh, maybe we'll find out. Or maybe it's just that referees aren't quite the physical specimens that the other uh, 22 people on the field are. So it's, it's the contrast, Also, suggest. Also, how, how much can you do with an all-black kit? Although, well, I guess that hasn't stopped Adidas and MLS from just making every team wear black. But so, uh, yeah, they, they, I feel like referees are overlooked in the, in the, in the kit space. Yeah, yeah, we should work on that. <laughs> who, is the, All right. who is the biggest all-black team, now that I think of it? Uh, New Zealand, the all-blacks. Yeah, that would be the, the only like, club that I can think of is Gladbach. I think Gladbach has an all-black kit. Maybe Dortmund did a blackout yeah. kit once, but I don't think yeah. of a team that's all-black from head to toe. They have a lot of all-whites. We need more all-black teams. because West like Ham had an all-black away kit, don't they? Get out of here, West Ham. You're Claret and Blue or whatever. And City. LAFC also Sky Blue. are coming to mind. All right, that's allowed. That's a good call. Graham wins. <laughs> all right we've been winning so far let's do one more game for this uh, episode the seville derby seville against betis uh one nil winners were seville in this home game they remain in fourth place four points behind barcelona betis are in sixth uh i think i may have mentioned this when we've covered this game before in previous instances but this is like a bucket list game for me to attend going down to southern spain going to seville yeah. to see this derby when such things are allowed again I'm going to try my darndest to do it because, God, it looks glorious down there. And this is a really, a really hard-fought derby. And, a, a, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where the whole city shuts down to, uh, to uh, check out this game. So th- that's uh, the context of this game. And I think um, Seville being the more successful team is one thing, but Batiste are more are widely followed in Seville is my understanding as well. So it'd be interesting to see the dynamic in that city. But... Uh, Pretty even match, Graham. Pretty open. I felt like this could have been maybe 4-4 with a bit of better finishing. Yep, and it was a, certainly a better, quite similar to the Milan-Napoli game and the, the scoreline didn't quite um, reflect how open a game this was. It certainly could have been more than 1-0. And if you look at the scorelines across, I don't know if you're aware of this, the scorelines in La Liga this weekend, um, again, like there was a lot of good games, but the scorelines did not reflect that. The scorelines were 1 0 1-1, 2-1, 0-0, 0-0, 1-0, 3-1, and 1-0. <laughs> so not a lot of uh, goals in La Liga this weekend. But An, anti- I- an anti-soccer pundit's uh, like favorite weekend right there, just to be able to complain about those those results and the lack of <laughs> yeah, scoring. Right, It really yeah. does tick a lot of boxes. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I thought Betis had the shown a little bit more cutting edge in, in front of goal. I mean, um, there's a penalty shout in the first half where Bono looks like he catches Canales and one, when I was watching it, the one angle that I saw, it was it looked like a definite penalty. But then there was another angle that looked like he'd pushed the ball away. So so maybe he, he, he got a little bit lucky there. But Fakir had a couple of chances right at the end. He curls one not not inches wide, but a few a few yards wide of, of the post. And um, yeah. they, these are two teams that they, they, they're struggling for... See, I was going to say they're struggling for a goal scorer, but then Sevilla have, you know, Yusuf mm-hmm. en- Enyaseri scores his 20th goal of the season in this game and takes it really, really well. Brilliant first touch, ball over the top by, it must be by Jesus Navas. Um, good touch, and then it finishes it from a really tight angle with two defenders running back to the goal line. And that's his 20th goal of the season in all competitions. So even though he's not a lock in this, this Sevilla team to start, De Jong comes in and, and plays, and I've seen Ocampos playing as a centre-forward as well. <laughs> I said to Taylor right back at the start of the season that I, I felt Sevilla needed a true goal scorer and he's kind of performing that role and he, and he got the winner here. Yeah, and uh, he's reportedly wanted by West Ham, so maybe we'll see him uh, make a transfer to the Premier League at some point. But you're I right, feel Graham. Like, I feel like a lot of teams could use him. Is that insane? Like, like, like a uh, good striker who scores today. goals. Yeah, I think so. Right, like, but there was like, like Thomas Tuchel today said Chelsea need, or like, I guess hinted that maybe they need more of a, a central striker. Like, he seems like he could fit there. I feel like Manchester United need a. a like a powerful player in the air who can also finish clinically. And I think that first goal, to Graham's point, every single part of it from the first touch to the second touch, setting him up to go around the goalkeeper to the third being a zero degree angle finish, but he knows exactly what he's doing the whole time. It seems like maybe some clubs should be monitoring him a bit more closely. Well, 
central strikers are the rarest commodity in soccer in general. So yeah, you can imagine him being pretty hot property at the moment, given the form he's in and the form he's been in the past few weeks. Uh, Graham mentioned his 20 goals on the season for Nesri, but 40 appearances. That struck me as something. Mid-March, he's already had 40 appearances this season. So uh, well, maybe an, an indication of how hard players are being worked this season. I'm sure there are many other top-tier players who've played that many games as well. But that number just struck me uh, in this one. Um, Graham, you mentioned there that Batiste were decent in the first half. I thought they weren't so much in the second half. Iglesias and Fakir looking dangerous, but sort of uh, faded away in the second half and didn't give much of a threat to uh, Sevilla and uh, deadbeat dad uh, Sopranos extra Julian Lopetegui. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, their best chance of a, of, a, of a goal, the closest they came I don't to, to score, and I don't know if you saw this, was um, would have been one of the most bizarre goals of all time. So I, I think it's Acuna smashes a clearance of uh, Borca Iglesias, yes. who's, who's lying completely flat, like like he's planking on the ground and also facing the wrong way from the goal. So he has, you know how people say, oh, they didn't know much about it. He literally knew nothing about this. And yet he kind of sticks up a back leg and the ball bounces off him and goes towards the, the goal line and Diego Carlos getting back to, to, to scramble off the line. It, it, it was a... It was a moment that would have made Granite Zaka blush uh, yeah. with embarrassing and playing out from the back with not <laughs> so much composure. Um, but yeah, but Betis, Pellegrini's done a great job with this this Betis team. I think they'd won maybe four league games in a row before this before this match, and there was a slim chance that they could make a a challenge for the Champions League spots in Spain. I say a slim chance; it was probably wasn't going to happen. But this this defeat probably ends those hopes. And 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 much like uh, Sevilla. Pellegrini has made um, great strides with the defence of, of of Betis. They're they're much stronger defensively, but much like Sevilla, and again, maybe maybe I'm being harsh. Maybe Sevilla don't need a goal scorer because, as we say, in the series got 20 goals this season. But it feels like Betis are lacking that that number nine to really uh, take an opportunity because they've got the creative players behind them in Fakir and and Canales and even players like Guardado at providing width. But um, yeah, no one to take an opportunity. Yeah, and we should note that this was a good turnaround for Sevilla, who I think are uh, on a four-game winless run going into this one with the Champions League games and what not. Uh, one other, I don't have many other notes on this game, gents, but one thing I wanted to talk about is this thing in La Liga we've seen this season after goals are scored. They're using this very interesting camera yeah. when they follow up the players. And it looks like when your iPhone is on portrait mode and it blurs the background and really sharpens the player. And you notice it in this game, and I noticed it with Atletico Madrid last week where I think, was it Luis Suarez scored? And it almost looked like a like a cinema presentation. It looked like a movie yeah. afterwards. And he did this sort of kiss to the camera. It just looked incredible. And they're obviously doing something different in the league, and I like it. <laughs> is that is that not from NFL though? Is that have they not? I saw that for the first time in in the NFL this season, where they're using that kind of portrait mode, close up camera shot, and then I saw it in La Liga. So I, th- I think they've either it's the same production company or something, or they've just they've just lifted that. But I think that's where that comes from. It's possible. It certainly speaks to the social media iPhone generation that we have. That that's a a desirable thing for the directors of the game to do, though. I think it's it looks great. I'm all for it. I am all for Papu Gomez as the free-floating number 10. This is my yes. final nerdy point on the weekend. Just that uh, he is listed, if you see Sevilla listed, as like a 4-3-3. What I saw was Fernando and uh, Juan Jordan as your two sort of holding midfielders, then Papu Gomez doing whatever he wanted, which is a very Atalanta thing. Uh, they're in a back three, Sevilla in a back four, but I loved Papu Gomez getting to just kind of roam around doing whatever he wanted, including fouling people with regularity and somehow never getting a card. I, I appreciate that he... Uh, seemed to step fully into the Sevilla Batiste derby. He <laughs> did indeed. For, for the moments he was on rivalry, the field, at least. Yeah. 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 All right, gents. I think that just about wraps up our weekend review. We are at time. Any more for any more before we shut this shop down and uh, go and get our hair cut or our fishing supplies? Yeah. Well, we were <laughs> waiting for uh, Graham to join us today because daylight saving time is, is a thing that we kind of forgot about. We uh, were discussing the Grammys very briefly, which has led me to wonder, Graham, are you okay with doing a, like a year-end season review in which you hand out awards and we call that the Grammys? Because I'm being serious. <laughs> football based i assume yes. we're not not music based because it'd no. be in trouble <laughs> uh, barber shop and football those two right okay yeah absolutely i really do kind of want to do this as a show of like and who gets the grammy for best european goal scorer graham um yusuf and that's correct okay Th- then this is now going to be a thing and i look forward to it 
You have spoken it into into existence now, Taylor. The Grammys are a thing that are yep. going to happen this season. Congratulations, Beautiful. Graham. You now host an award ceremony. Uh, and on that note, uh, I will bid you all adieu. Thank you, listener, for listening. Taylor, thank you so much for your time today. Right back at you, my friend. And Graham, get prepping for those Grammys. I look forward to it. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>